is Talkback, 721-1290 or 1-800-568-5309. This is News Talk KGVO, AM 1290 and 98.3 FM, KGVO. Missoula's News and Weather Station. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome, welcome once again. It is the Tuesday edition of Talk Back. And Talk Back is brought to you this morning, say it with me, by Phillips Janitorial, our, our great sponsors offering residential and commercial cleaning. And no job is too big or small for Phillips Janitorial. You want to find out more? Here's the number 406 260 Also brought to you by Brooklyn Bagel and Bakery, offering authentic. New York bagels and pastries from Little Italy all the way flown directly to Missoula at uh, Brooklyn Bagel and Bakery located on North Reserve. The views and opinions expressed on TalkBack are not those of the staff, management, or advertisers. Hey, welcome, everybody. Glad to have you along this morning. By the way, I'm Peter Christian. Nick Christensen will be back tomorrow. But once again, joining us as our, as our guest phone guy. <laughs> Christian Grant, how you doing, partner? Good to be here. Uh, good to have you. I appreciate your help, by the way. Thank you. And joining us as uh, we, we are always thrilled to have Dr. Patrick Barkey with us, University of Montana's Bureau of Business and Economic Research. I hope we get a lot of calls because people want to know what's going on with the economy right now. You are an actual economist. Yeah, I'd like to know what's going on with the economy, too, Peter. Uh, good morning. Good morning, sir. So now you have been very busy. You just recently completed your most uh, uh, recent survey, or I should say the, the statewide visits and uh, all the presentations that you made. What kind of things did you learn? Well, I tell you, there's a, uh, <laughs> a, lot, of, a lot of disbelief among Montanans that the economy is changing. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of folks that uh, are not taking inflation into their calculations, and uh, there remains a lot of housing stress in uh, markets all across the state. I think those are uh, three things, uh, at least, that we learned. Um, and of course, there's individual situations in every area. But uh, no, I think the uh, the fact that uh, Economic security right now remains pretty high and that the unemployment rate is super low and people aren't too worried about uh, finding a job, keeping a job and so forth um, <clears throat> makes it difficult to uh, to understand when somebody like myself walks in the room and says things are about to change uh, because they haven't changed yet. All right. So so if you don't mind expanding on that on that note just a little bit, when you say things are about to change. What will be changing and how, in, in your view, as an economist? Well, of course it's in my view. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's why you're here. Well, I yeah. can tell you what my wife thinks. But, okay. <laughs> uh, the, um, well, I, I think the, what's changing, of course, is that uh, money is getting expensive. Uh, people are running out of discretionary income to spend on things. Uh, people are starting to push back against inflation. So as prices go up, they're, they're, they're pushing back and saying, I can't afford it. I can't buy it. And uh, <clears throat> you take all that together and that signals a slowdown in spending. Uh, this gets starting to be noticed by businesses. Then you have some individual situations. For example, you have these tech companies that are laying people off. Um, guess what? There, there's tech in Montana now. So, uh, that guy creates a different situation for a lot of companies there. And I think also uh, the housing industry has already uh, been through a, a quite a bit of a change, uh, particularly the mortgage lenders and the folks who are writing mortgages. Uh, the volume has dried up. The prices haven't softened tremendously. 
but the activity in the industry is uh, is quite different right now than it was a year ago. We had we had uh, Aaron Payhan with the with the city just last week talking about what they're trying to do with uh, creating an atmosphere in Missoula or helping to enhance an atmosphere in Missoula where more uh, more dwellings can be built uh, and trying to uh, craft or create zoning that will help that happen. So <laughs> is is that something that as an economist you say, hey, this that's great. If we can do it, let's let's do it. Well, uh, you know, the proof will be in what happens to prices, right? I mean, you have uh, you have a sense uh, in a lot of communities that there's been a big construction uh, response to higher prices. And partly that's because you can observe it with your eyes. You see these buildings going up. You say, wow. Um, what that does not take into account are two things. The first is how much we did not respond for years and years and years. And so there's quite a deficit. And also the fact that... Uh, Demand, um, especially uh, in western Montana, continues to be really strong. So the fact that you see buildings going up or this or that project going through, uh, what really remains to be seen uh, is whether or not there can be any meaningful change in uh, real estate markets with fairly low inventories and extremely high prices. Uh, That's where the question is going to be answered, not from somebody talking on a microphone. Sure. And I, I will say when we visited with Erin, one of the things that she mentioned that she's, I would say, troubled about, but very concerned about, is is the lack of number of homes that are actually private homes that are actually for sale in Missoula right now. There just aren't that many uh, because either people are, are not leaving or they're, you know, they're afraid perhaps to make a move or do whatever and pretty much stay where they're at. Well, one way to put a house for sale is to build one. Uh, <laughs> True you know, enough. So, yeah. uh, so there's uh, there's really low inventories. We um, we've been involved in a bunch of housing analysis uh, for Flathead County recently, so I have more numbers for that particular market than I do for Missoula at the moment. And and certainly there are differences between the two, but there's a lot of similarities. And uh, in Flathead County. Uh, we estimate that what began as a pretty substantial housing um, uh, surplus right after the Great Recession, when uh, everything had, had kind of collapsed, was wiped out by about mid-decade, and now it's a fairly sizable uh, housing deficit. And I think that what I mean by housing deficit is that there are people who would like to have a house, but they cannot, uh, mostly because they can't afford it. Um, and... Um, that results in all kinds of undesirable situations like uh, temporary housing, long commutes, people uh, not forming households, still living with extra roommates and mm-hmm. still living with parents and so forth. So uh, those things are not easily uh, changed, is, I guess is what I would say. So uh, a lot of housing pressure, of course, uh, the other markets are, are seeing that as well. So I, I think the... The key to understand about housing is it's the private sector that builds it, okay? So uh, if we don't allow the private sector to build as much as they would want, uh, a lot of people will think that's good. They don't trust the private sector. They don't trust developers, et cetera. Yeah. But ultimately, it is a numbers game uh, when you look at demand and supply. And like I say, when prices are going up, especially faster than income, 
it's it's a clear indication that supply is inadequate uh, to serve to serve demand. So is is it is it the public public sector either K, uh, either a can't find uh, you know uh, bare land to build on or the uh, the cost of building is is still extraordinarily high and interest rates are extraordinarily high. So these are all things that work against uh, getting more inventory or being being able to build more inventory. Well, you know, and I'll mix it all up in one pot and one stew. There are a lot of different factors there. Interest rates are high. They might be high, might be high later. Right. Bare land is certainly an issue. But the problem is, is that the perception of builders is that the delays and the uh, the, the bottlenecks, the, the, the procedural kind of things, things we talked about on the Housing uh, Affordability Task Force, you know, the fact that the, the length of time it takes to get a subdivision reviewed, um, the the pushback uh, against all kinds of things. The, I, the, the thought that, um, you know, the um, minimum parcel sizes, um, lack of uh, flexibility in terms of what you can build, uh, all these things make building more expensive. And when it's more expensive, less is built. So um, this is something that has been happening in slow motion in one form or another for going on 20 years here. And uh, if we don't do something different, we'll get more of the same. We're going to come right back. Jeff is waiting to visit with you. We have several lines open. Christian Grant here filling in for Nick, answering phones this morning. Our guest in the studio, we are thrilled to have him with us, Dr. Patrick Barkey, Director of the University of Montana's Bureau of Business and Economic Research. We'll return right after this. Okay, we're back on Talk Back this morning. Again, we're thrilled to have with us Dr. Patrick Barkey, University of Montana, Bureau of Business and Economic Research. And Jeff is first to call. Jeff, good morning. You're on. Hello. Whoop, there we go. Jeff, you're on. Go ahead, sir. Hey, good morning. Um, I'm, I'm glad you brought up Erin uh, uh, Pan because last week I challenged her a couple of times when she was on. And right. Uh, right. Dr. Dr. Barkey, you've uh, had a series of recent uh, economic minutes about housing and how it works and supply and demand. And, and it appears that the city of Missoula doesn't understand that because in in uh, Peter's own column last week, uh, uh, or maybe it was yesterday, I did a screen capture, so I don't know exactly when it was. Um, but there's a quote from Aaron that says, when we get stuck in the supply, in the supply and demand cycle, which can be end, endlessly frustrating for us because right when we start to make some headway, we're getting enough apartments on the market that we're seeing rents kind of come down a little bit or hold steady. And then investors say, oh, wait, maybe we should, shouldn't build anymore right now that, you know, our investments aren't quite paying off. And then we see a little stall, and then we lose that momentum that we've built. And when I challenged her directly, she basically said that when, uh, when vacancy rates are zero, the law of supply and demand doesn't apply anymore. And it was just really frustrating to hear somebody who's in charge of community planning not understand how supply and demand works. So my question for you is, does the city of Missoula ever engage your services to come in and do a little basic training on economics 101, supply and demand? That is a very good question, Jeff. <laughs> All right, go ahead, Patrick. Well, I, I, I don't know anything about the context of that conversation, but... I can assure you that Aaron Payne knows very well how the world of supply and demand works. I think uh, what she's talking about there is something which is pretty common, which is that 
especially when it comes to uh, multifamily uh, housing development, that there is a lumpiness to it. There is a sense in which um, a lot of investors see opportunity at the same time. They come in and they build. Uh, the projects come onto the market. They they change the equation for future investment. Uh, it, it is is the nature of the beast. And for someone in her position, I'm sure that is frustrating, but it's also fairly natural. I guess uh, what what I am talking about is is it's it's not so easily um, passed off as being simply the fault of an administrator here or, a, or an elected official there. I think rather it has to do with the attitudes of communities that vote and support some of the policies that we have. So, for example, there is a profound skepticism among a lot of people that developers are part of the solution. A lot of people think that developers are the problem. When you do survey work and you say, who's to blame for high housing prices? It's amazing how many people say it's developers. And uh, so it is, uh, you know, I'm not going to take on all those questions, but I will say that uh, we get we get the government and, and we get the leadership that we want. And right now, I don't think uh, there is an appreciation of how much underbuilding we have produced uh, through our collective decisions. And those 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 chickens are coming home to roost, so to speak, in the form of what's going on with prices. Go ahead, Jeff. Yeah, uh, I, I agree wholeheartedly. And I didn't mean to cast aspersions on Aaron. It just seemed that she had a basic lack of understanding when when I talked to her. And that when when you said that, you know, the community gets what the community asked for, uh, it seems to me that the, as, the, as the director of city planning, that she should be the one in the lead of taking this issue of, uh, of how it does work, what you just said, you know, that... Uh, Let's not blame developers. Let's make things easier for developers because basically they are the ones who are going to solve the problems. The city seems to think that they can solve it, but in the end, they're going to have to turn to somebody to actually build things. And so it, it just seems to be skewed in the way of uh, that city planning can get us out of this mess. And it's not solely due to city planning, but there's a significant portion of the planning effort that has actually caused the mess. Do I have that backwards? Jeff, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Go ahead. No, I, I, I agree a lot with what you said. I mean, there's no question about it. I think uh, I wrote a, um, a podcast the other day where I said, I essentially said urban city planning is broken and I think it's been oversold. Um, now uh, you are talking to an economist and I, you know, I, I'm just not on the same page with planners. I mean, I hear constantly about how uh, you can't you can't proceed without a plan. And my question is, whose plan? Because you can't proceed without money either. And the last time I checked, the planners don't have the money. It's the uh, developers and ultimately the buyers of housing. So um, I kind of question the idea that all we need to do is get into a room and and plan this all out and we'll fix it. And just I, step back and see what happens, right? Well, I no, I th I think planning planning for infrastructure, planning for growth makes perfect sense. But the whole notion, for example, that you have to go before a planning board for project A, project B, project C to see whether those projects conform to the plan, 
That is what is broken because it's been a, it's been a forum for stopping things. And uh, we do that pretty well in housing. We stop an awful lot of housing from being built. With that, we're up against a break. We still have Paul and we have uh, Dave and several other phone lines open, 721-1290. Dr. Patrick Markey joining us right here, the director of the University of Montana's Bureau of Business and Economic Research. We're coming right back. Unused prescription opioid pain medicines can spell trouble. They can spell risk if taken by someone they weren't prescribed for, harm if accidentally taken by a child or pet, or overdose if they're not used as directed. Safely dispose of opioids before they can hurt your family. Find a drug take-back option such as medicine drop boxes. You may find these in your community at local pharmacies or police stations. Visit www.fda.gov slash drug disposal. Victor deployed for the first time to Afghanistan in 2003. He sustained a moderate traumatic brain injury. One of the most important elements of caregiving is taking care of yourself. For many military veteran caregivers, their caregiving journey starts earlier in life and lasts longer. Visit aarp.org caregiving for a free military veteran's guide to navigate your caregiving journey and better care for your loved one and yourself. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Hey, we are back on TalkBack. 721-1290 is our number. Christian Grant over there taking your phone calls. And uh, Dr. Patrick Barkey is joining us here in the studio. Let's get Paul on. Paul, good morning, and thanks for holding. You're on with uh, Patrick Barkey. Good morning. Um, the two comments backwards was, was something I heard. and But, but my, I guess my question is, is it the chicken or the egg as far as the planning goes? You know, in the 80s, price house prices were pretty low late 70s early 80s and then i don't know mid 80s late 80s all of a sudden things changed um the city keeps promoting the city for living here and people moving here and providing you know lowering the barrier to move here um and that creates people that come in um who might not have any means to really stay as far as what the prices are going i'm not i don't want to eliminate people but for me planning the city's job for planning would be to lay out the the transportation network of the whole valley in the long term rather than having these developers and, and too many developers in the past in the last 30 years have been the people on the planning board basically deciding you know what can be developed what can be built how it's going to be built and and um you know, the one who, who um, built all the, the stuff um, west of the, the stadium, he, he was on the planning. He was kind of the head of the way. He ran, basically ran the planning board, decided this can be done, this can be this, we can we can give away this easement so we can build this. And, and it's like the residents have been kind of like out of the process. It's like a pretend process. When they change zoning that, that's supposed to have a vote, they say, well, it's not really a zoning change. It's a text change. And this has been going on forever. And as the city promotes all the builders, promotes all the people coming in, it's like they're driving the prices up intentionally. And then when they get what they want, they're saying there's a big problem. And so I, I don't know, is there a, a better response to to describing it that way? Tell, or, you, what, or a better, tell you what, Paul, better we're, way we're, to describe it? we're coming up against a break. Uh, that's a very good question. We'll, we'll go ahead and end the hour with your answer. Patrick, go ahead. Well, the city may promote itself, but that's not the that's not where demand is coming from promotional efforts, it's from economic opportunity, and a lot of other factors. I think the uh, 
with respect to what the role of planning is, uh, that's a large issue. Uh, but I would argue that it is uh, more grandiose and more all-encompassing than is realistic. And so I've already made a comment about that. I, I guess the last thing I would say is that, yes, there's, there's a long tradition in many local uh, places of um, developers and, and insiders sort of capturing the planning process and working it to their advantage. It's, it's happened for hundreds and hundreds of years. Uh, I'm not sure how to change all of that, but I will say that people are typically not very involved in the planning process, but they love to jump in at the end <laughs> when individual projects are proposed. Right. And that is part of the problem, and that is one that seriously needs to be addressed. So, so if the average person doesn't really have a sense of how planning works, does it help for them to get involved or at least to find out more about what's happening so they can speak with knowledge about what they want to, to see happen? Well, in theory, that sounds good. I mean, what's wrong with getting involved, right, except right. for the, uh, the investment in time versus the payoff and understanding and actual uh, concrete results is is a little dubious. I think the, uh, what's, what's needed is to, uh, come up with a, a, a more nuanced and more limited, uh, um, um, shall we say objective of what we're trying to do with planning. We're trying to extend infrastructure in a way that makes sense. Uh, we're trying to, uh, you know, we're trying to, to, to create, um, arteries and we're trying to we're trying to support development in places where we can support where we can support it with transportation with uh, utilities and so forth and then and then what right are, are we then yeah, trying we just to just step back and wait people for people to rush in and buy all the homes or what <laughs> what, what well, once we the, got it all down yeah um how do you think new york was built <laughs> you know uh, I, th I think we just need to tilt the pendulum. We don't need to step back. We need to tilt the pendulum in a way that uh, respects uh, what, what, um, what the private sector needs in terms of housing and, and what, what we need in terms of, uh, in terms of development. I don't, I don't know. It's, it's a big question. I, I think right now, though, we have a situation where we have too many choke points in the whole process. And... Uh, you know, you don't have to accept my little diatribe against planning. I mean, planners could come on here and we could have a nice debate and sure. that would be fine. I'm not expecting to convince anybody, but I am trying to convince people that the system we have now is broken. You know, a lot is made about planning. This, that, or the other thing is not conformable with the plan. Oh, my gosh, we're growing faster than the plan. We said we didn't want to do that. Let's slow down growth. All these kinds of things. Uh, add up to a housing affordability problem. We're going to come right back after the top of the hour and continue. Uh, several phone lines open. Dr. Patrick Barkey with us. We'll be back. Garden City. When it comes to making plans, you are the best. What about those round trips, which are perfect on your way there and perfect on your way back? Or those meetings with friends, surprise parties, camps, birthdays. The same way you plan for the important moments, start planning to protect you and your loved ones. This is Talkback, 721-1290 or 1-800-568-5309. This is News Talk KGVO, AM 1290 and 98.3 FM. KGVO. 
Missoula's news and weather station. Hey, welcome back, everybody. It's hour number two of Talk Back for your Tuesday, February 28th. Uh, I'm Peter Christian. Of course, uh, Christian Grant, by the way, filling in for Nick Questions. And this morning, we really appreciate him taking his time. And uh, Talk Back this morning is sponsored by Brooklyn Bagel and Bakery. For all of your New York favorites, they have locks, they have New York cheesecake cannolis, Fabulous uh, bagel sandwiches located on North Reserve. Also, you're brought to you by Phillips Janitorial. They've got residential and commercial cleaning down pat. No job is too big or too small for Phillips. So, if you want to get something done in your home or business, call 406 260 6617. The views and opinions expressed on Talkback are not those of the staff, management, or advertisers. Okay, we're back. Dr. Patrick Barkey joining us here in the studio. First of all, thank you for coming. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. It's always a pleasure having you on. Uh, let's get Dave on. He's been waiting all the way through the break. Dave, thank you for your patience, sir. Go ahead. Hey, good morning. I'd like to make two points. First of all, it's really easy to blame government. You know, it's, it's always the president's fault uh, about housing shortages or whatever. But look, let's look at it, reality. Uh, I don't want an eight-plex eight house apartment built next to my house. As a landlord, I don't want uh, too many rentals built in the, in town because the, then I'll be a glut and I'll have to lower my price of my rental property. Uh, people are part of the problem here. Uh, and the other point about uh, shortage, it, it, technology has come along. I mean, it is possible now to work at home in Missoula and be employed by a, a company in, in San Francisco. I mean, it makes it easy for people to, to come to this city where they like it and avoid the big cities by staying home and working from, from their living room. So, so that puts pressure on the upper end. And, and those two things combined, and, uh, and certainly there's government part of it, but, you know, these things are it's part of the problem. So, Dave, what's your suggestion? Well, there is a, um, not a real big... It's a... Uh, as an old person who's been around a lot of years, I've seen the ups and downs of the market where you, you, you overbuild and you go into debt too much and you lose your house and the market's glut and the prices drop. I mean, there's just cycles to housing. And there, it's, gone, it's the cycle up now and there's going to be a cycle down in the future. So is it just, and, is it just important to learn how to ride the wave or what? Well, to some degree, yes. You, uh, as I bought a rental house when the market was back in uh, the Bush recession. When I bought the house, it was it was a hundred thousand dollar house, and now it's worth three hundred thousand. And if you you sit on the market and wait, that house will will back drop back down if the if there's too many built or the or people just move in with each other and avoid rental properties the price will drop and you you get in you buy you buy low and sell high that's that's the way the system works and i don't think you can really change it pat patrick is smiling over there so so well dave thank, thanks for the call so your, your your thoughts dr barkey well that's certainly true especially if you were able to buy uh 20 years ago uh i would just throw a few things out there um right now we have um, housing prices have gone up. Everything's gone up. So let's, let's get away from that. Let's say that housing prices have gone up much faster than income. Uh, I think that's more relevant because that makes it clear. Uh, you know, for example, we, I was just telling Peter, we'd done a bunch of work up in Flathead County. Um, 
in Flathead County uh, for up until 2017, the qualifying income that you needed to be able to, uh, you know, take out a mortgage on a median price home if you were a median earning household was approximately your income. In other words, qualifying income and median income were pretty close. Uh, right now, qualifying income is double median income. So what that means is that there's a whole group of people that uh, they can't buy at all. And that's and it's why... it's difficult for them to rent as well. Well, it's, it's expensive, yeah. but actually it's interesting. Uh, the income of renters, I'm sorry to peel all this information out about Flathead. But Go I just, for it. I just did a bunch of work up there. The median income of renters in Flathead County is actually going up. And that's because that's where all the people who would normally be buying houses are going is that they're renters and but they fit the profile of of uh, homeowners except for prices are unattainably high so i guess that my point would be that uh, there's something more going on than cycles uh what there is is there's there's policy uh, regardless of who's to blame for it there are policies that have caused us to systematically underbuild uh there are policies that have pushed development into this into the most expensive kind of building which is single family homes we have a, a gigantic majority of our property that's zoned for single family uh we have a, a low density mindset with high density demand <laughs> and uh so you put that together and what you have today uh increasingly is you have a generation of younger folks like we were all young ones i can speak for myself uh, a generation of younger folks that are completely priced out of the market. They can't buy low and sell high because they can't buy. And so they are not accumulating household wealth. Uh, they are not enjoying a lot of things that uh, previous generations of Americans have enjoyed. And I think that's that's an issue. And you made a lot of other good comments, but I don't have time to respond to them all. Well, I'll tell you what, we're up, we're up against a break, so we can do that. By the way, the phone lines are open. If you have a question or a comment for Dr. Patrick Barkey, he's quite here not just to talk to me and Christian. He's here to talk to you folks. So 721-1290 is our number. We'd love to have you on the phone. I just finished a statewide tour. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, all sorts of insights that he'd like to share with that. But we'd much rather take your phone calls at 721 We're coming right back after this. Four eight. I'm Ben Affleck, and I want to thank you for joining me and supporting paralyzed veterans of America. I joined the Navy to serve my country while parachuting with my platoon. My parachute didn't open. I broke my neck. Thanks to PVA, paralyzed veterans are getting specialized medical care and treatments, the jobs they want, and the accessible vehicles and homes they need. I just don't think my family would be as happy as they are without the support that I received from Paralyzed Veterans of America. Learn more at pva.org. Need to replace your Social Security card? In most states, you can request one online with a My Social Security account. A My Social Security account gives you secure access to your personal earnings history and benefit status. You can also get a proof of income letter, estimate and apply for benefits, and more. Save time. Go online. Open a My Social Security account at ssa.gov slash my account. Social Security. Securing today and tomorrow. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. Hey, welcome back, everybody. It's Talk Back for Tuesday. I'm Peter Christian, and Nick is off today. So Christian Grant taking your phone calls this morning at 721-1290. Uh, Dr. Patrick Barkey joining us here in the studio this morning. Harry, you've been waiting the longest. Thank you, sir. What's on your mind? Yeah, good morning, Patrick. Uh, I'm just curious. Do you own land or a house in town there? Oh, yes. Uh, so I'm just, how much of that property value or the aesthetics would you be willing to give up to let the de developers do what they want to? 
How much would I be willing to give up? Yeah, how much is the value of the property or the aesthetics around your house would you be willing to say, uh, just, you know, to give up? Because you seem like you're asking everybody else to do it because they, you know, just let developers do pretty much what they want without really putting a, you know, uh, their their opinion on it. Because, you, you you know, people don't, obviously don't want, a, you know, apartment building building jumped up around their house or anything. Well, if, if, if I could jump in here, Harry, I think what, what, you're, yeah. what you're describing is something called NIMBY. It's not in my backyard, right? Exactly, yeah. Okay, okay. and so because I, I remember a story, this, this has stuck in my head for years. Went to a meeting over at the Linda Vista Golf Course, and this is about 15 years ago. And they were talking about building a new development, and a lady stood up and said, Hey, I want you to know my husband and I saved for 30 years to build the house of our dreams, and it's in a beautiful place. And now you're suggesting we're going to put this enormous you know, apartment complex right in front of us, spoiling our view. We do not want that. And so that, that, that is exactly what I hear people saying in their hearts when all the development is being, is being discussed. Is that... Go yeah, that's you're saying? exactly what. Yeah, yeah, that's what I, the point I'm trying to make. Yeah, okay. right. people. I, I'm just wondering if he'd be willing to uh, give up some of his uh, uh, the value of his property or the aesthetics around his yeah. property. Yeah, let's let him answer. Thanks, Harry. Appreciate the call. Yeah. Well, first off, I would say I'm I'm never willing to give up anything that's of value to me. If that's what you mean, the question is, uh, what right do I have to uh, demand that you stop something that's of value to you? so that I can protect my value, uh, that's, that's one question. I'd also turn that question around another way, another way. and that is to say, if, if, if you build something that makes my property more attractive, all right? Um, so for example, uh, you build something that's beautiful. You build a, you know, whatever. I mean, the city builds a park or something. How much should I be taxed to pay for what you built? <laughs> because if you do something that increases my value, I should pay for it. So this is something that's pretty well known. I mean, it's pretty well known that uh, different uh, different people's actions affect uh, welfare of, of unrelated people. I mean, um, so, but the question becomes one of uh, uh, what 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 is the political system? What is the system that that governs? how we control how one person's actions affect the value of others. Um, so the way it works right now is that those who got to the city first and have the votes uh, can essentially uh, can, can have a say in housing policy for people who aren't there yet and can't vote. So uh, there's, there's that whole issue involved, but I, no, I, I, I appreciate what you're saying. Uh, but there, if if that kind of uh, mindset would have been applied uh, to the development of cities to begin with, uh, the cities would never have been built at all. Let's move on. I believe Susan is up next. Susan, good morning. You're on with Patrick Barkey. Go ahead, please. Okay. Um, I started buying real estate when I was 20 years old, right after I got married. And I started with a trailer. I made a profit when I sold it. Then I bought a townhome and I made a profit and then I sold it and so on and so on and so on. The problem that I see, and I'd like you to comment on this, is that a lot of young people now don't even have an opportunity to start at the bottom of the real estate market, like with a trailer or with a townhome that's affordable. I was 
just un because I was kind of looking for my son who lives in a very expensive part of the country and was toying with the idea of maybe coming back here because he thought maybe it was more affordable and it's not. And there isn't even anything at the lower rung for people to get, you know, to purchase like myself. I could, you know, build up and build up and build up. And so if you could comment on this this problem, because I also see in Missoula and elsewhere the cost that the government is putting on developers, the restrictions that they are being made to kowtow to that is adding to the price of houses okay. and townhouses. Thank you, Susan. Oh, thanks yeah. for the call. Go ahead, Patrick. Okay, so I can speak uh, uh, two comments to what you said. The first is the unaffordability of housing is directly related to the strength of the economy. In other words, the places that have the most economic opportunity, that have the highest wages, also have the most underbuilding, if I can say it that way, uh, and and the highest prices uh, relative to income. So the kinds of places people want to move to are really expensive. Let's just put it that way. Statistically speaking, you can find a community here or there where that's not true. Uh, second thing I would say, again, as a researcher, because that's that's my perspective, as a researcher, there's a there's a there's a concept which is pretty, you know, aligns pretty well with what you just said. It's called housing wealth. How much equity do you have in housing? What is your of your you know when you look at your own personal balance sheet on the plus side, there's there's equity in a home, right? So how much do you have? And if you look at that, generationally speaking, when you look at 20 to 35-year-olds today and you see how much housing wealth they have versus 20 to 35-year-olds, let's say, in 1985, now you got to do a lot of corrections for inflation, the value of dollars, and so forth. But what you find is that the housing wealth of that younger cohort of people is much lower today. They are not getting in on the game. So uh, that's that's what I would say about that, and that's that's an outcome of, of of what I just said before about housing affordability, and also just about how houses have gone up faster in income for quite a bit of time. So uh, finally, the last thing about how government actions make uh, prices high they're they're subtle, right? I mean, the most obvious one, let's say, is where a community like in Bozeman or someplace uh, says to a developer, "You have to do X, Y, and Z." Uh, you have to pay for this driveway, you have to pay for the street, you have to pay for this improvement, or or maybe you have to offer these houses at, at below market rents. They do all kinds of things that are uh, cause the price of development to be higher. Uh, that's certainly true. Uh, but there's also the fact that by limiting the availability of um, new subdivision development, by limiting the ability of uh, uh, new lot development, it just restricts the supply and drives up the price. So it's it's both a a fee kind of thing, which adds to the cost of housing, and it's also a policy-related thing, which doesn't put a dollar tag on the cost of housing, but effectively drives up the price of housing by limiting supply. 
We're going to come right back. 721-1290 is our number. We have, uh, I believe, Bev and Paul who are going to talk with us. Uh, with By the way, uh, Dr. Patrick Barkey joining us. He'll be here till 10 o'clock this morning. Now, there are there other things to talk about for an economist besides housing prices. We also talk about inflation, uh, where we're headed with that. We're going to come right back with more Talk Back right after this. And we're back on TalkBack, 721-1290. That's the number, and folks are taking advantage of that. Dr. Patrick Barkey joining us here in the studio this morning. Director of the University of Montana's Bureau of Business and Economic Research. Bev has been waiting the longest. Bev, good morning. Thanks for holding. Good morning. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'd like to turn it more to, like, the oversight, the fact that uh, he said that the face of economics is changing. And just listening to Susan talk about her history and all of us that are older, when my kids came back from the mission field, things were a certain way about loans and making wise decisions about how to go about your life and, uh, you know, to get a place to live, et cetera. But the face is changing so much that I said, no, 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 don't, don't make your decisions based on what it was like when you left because it's totally different now. And so my question about that is, um, so all of these developments that are going on and the price is going higher, and they are. But also the ones who come in, what have they got for their equity to do those businesses? And I'm looking at the federal government and how they make it so that some developers have all they need because the federal arm is behind it. And so if all of a sudden the banks start to go under a little bit because the loans get paid off for education or whatever, is it going to be, you know, we don't even know if it's going to be the same five years from now about getting a loan or our mortgages or the whole system is just changing. Can you speak to that? All right. Thanks for the call. Well, I'll try. Uh, I'm not I'm quite sure where you're going with all that, but uh, I, I will say that um, certainly when you look back on generations and how things happen, uh, I mean, for example, um, uh, my generation, when you move somewhere, it was because you had a job. Uh, when our kids moved, they moved to a place they thought was cool, and then they went and looked for a job. So that that right away kind of kind of blew my mind that you could do that. But you know they did it and it worked. So uh, it's not like uh, change is is always wrong. I mean it's it's certainly a different uh, thing now. What's going on with respect to change now? And I don't know if that's where you're going with the question, but one of the other callers. Uh, mentioned remote work, and there certainly is something to that. Uh, you know, again, from a generational point of view, a job meant you had an employer, and an employer meant you had a paycheck, etc. And um, I think increasingly a lot of people are more comfortable with uh, doing some kind of gig work, freelance work, multiple jobs, working on projects. I mean, I, I, I don't think that's where you're going with that question, but I just bring that up because uh, those changes... I guess you could spin them and say they're worse. Boy, wouldn't you rather have a steady job? But, you know, this is something that is a new opportunity. So with respect to housing and the federal government, I'm not exactly sure where you're going with that. There certainly are. I mean, the federal government is gigantically involved in housing, always has been, actually, since World War II. I mean, all the mortgage guarantees and the fact that we have a a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage with no prepayment penalty is completely a product of the federal government. No other country, uh, some caller corrected me on this one. So okay. There is one yeah. other country yeah. that has it. Yeah. I don't know which one it is, but it's small. So, uh, you know, with respect to lending, I mean, the federal government is involved in low-income housing, but that's that's a fairly low volume of activity. Uh, 
in terms of what's happening with banks, I mean, let's face it, you know, all, all banks are doing is, is essentially financing risk taking, right? I mean, when you, when you buy a house, you're, you're taking a risk that you can, you can pay it. The bank is taking a risk that you can pay it back, all this sort of thing. This is normal economic transactions. And sometimes uh, what you're worried about happens and people, you know, banks go, banks are exposed to the, the downside. You can't make the payment, all this sort of thing. So uh, I don't know. Uh, none of that's going away. Uh, and I think that's uh, ever changing. But uh, right now, uh, the risks are, are manageable and uh, I'm not I'm not hugely worried about them. All right. Let's get uh, Paul is back and he uh, wanted to make another point. Uh, go ahead, Paul. Well, the the comment that that we hear all of the time it's it's like they're not in my backyard. It's it's like the the opposite of that is everything is my backyard, um, and that's kind of the sense of feeling that I get from a lot of people, and sometimes myself for what's happened in Missoula. It's like these people come in and says we have this great project, um, and beauty is in the eye of the beholder, um, and it, it seems that some people. Some people's idea of what beauty is um, as a higher priority or a privileged priority in government, and others don't. Um, and as and so I look, you know, I look at the the, the housing we talked. You want housing for people, and 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 we build all these houses in in places that people, if they had a choice, would never live in. Like right along the freeway, we big we're building building these monstrosities, um, and it's like. You know, if everyone could, they would they would buy a house, and I know that's not possible. But but to 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 take a place like Missoula and make it a downtown area in a small valley like this to me just seems ridiculous. Um, and it, it, if it gets to its extent, basically the whole city will be a downtown as far as residents. Most of them will be transients, and a lot of them will be unhappy, and and a lot of their jobs will be just kind of you know low low wage jobs all right um but they're stuck paul paul thanks and, for thanks for the and, call so uh go ahead patrick uh, there are a whole bunch of little things there so go ahead well it's in the eye of the beholder right i mean that's why uh when uh as my colleague bryce ward said uh at, at our recent programs um there's no one best solution uh it's um uh, you know housing is like uh the aisle in the in the uh, in the grocery store that sells cereal. It's not all one form of cereal. People have their favorite kinds. They they sort themselves out. Uh, um, I've lived next to freeways in my life before. I, I could afford it. I bought it. Uh, it wasn't too hard to adapt to. Uh, you know. So I don't think there's any uh, any sense or any need for that matter to uh, to conform to some sort of. Uh, general aesthetic when it comes to housing everything's a trade-off right i mean if uh if you have a great location a bad location long commute lots of room i mean all these things are are uh are, are reflected in prices so uh i think there's uh, ample availability to, to sort people's out people out on that okay we're going to take a break come right back 721-1290 all of our phone lines are open by the way if you have been trying to get through maybe you haven't had a ch the opportunity to do so patrick barkey dr patrick barkey he's the uh the uh, the uh, 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 director, sorry, of the University of Montana's Bureau of Business. I was going to say president. Uh, Bureau of Business and Economic Research. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. And uh, we'll be right back after this. 
for almost 50 Okay, we're back. This is Talk Back. Had a very fruitful discussion so far this morning, primarily focused around housing and affordability, that sort of thing. Uh, but we can go any direction because uh, Patrick Markey is, the, uh, is the, the, the economist here. So if you have an economic question, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, let's get Mark on the line. Mark, good morning. You're on Talk Back with Patrick Markey. Go ahead, sir. Good morning, everybody. Say, uh, Dr. Markey, I was watching the local news uh, over the last month or so, and there was a huge housing development up in Kalispell. And since you've been doing research up there, I thought you might know something about it uh, that has been submitted and withdrawn, submitted and withdrawn, then I think withdrawn again. And basically the planning process is getting in the way of the production of, uh, I think it's like 450 housing sites. And, the, uh, you know, is how do we prevent developers from taking advantage and yet get projects like that built there's got to be a balance there somewhere i'm not sure what you mean by taking advantage oh well i i I mean some sometimes a developer may not want to do things that the county needs them to do i and i'm not saying that they are taking advantage i'm saying um I would like a develop. I don't know what's blocking these developments like that. You know, if housing is such a crunch, how come the county is not or the city is not promoting it and trying to get it done rather than blocking it multiple times? Well, I think one of the reasons why you you hear news stories about those kinds of things is because they are public events. I mean, the room is full of people lining up in opposition. Uh, to what uh, what is what is being proposed? So, if if you're trying to understand uh, when housing is so expensive, why we aren't building more of it, it's because there's a lot of people that don't want to see more built. Uh, they don't want to yeah. see communities change. They don't want traffic. They don't want construction. Or to be cynical about I, I, it, I, I got mine. Yeah. yeah. So well, yeah. To be cynical about it, uh, they like their own values going up, and that's promoted by building building less. Uh, you know, I'm not going to ascribe motives to this, but in terms of why the outcomes are what they are, it's it's pretty apparent. Uh, you know, I mean, probably that same local story. You are, if we were watching on TV, there was undoubtedly a picture of a room full of people, and uh, by yeah. and large, a huge fraction of them were were against. Yeah, it reminds me of, a, of another incident. Uh, we we own a home on a small lake over in Washington, and. It's a pretty idyllic setting. You look across the lake at a nice big mountain on the other side, and but the mountains owned by Stimson Logging, and they decided to log the mountain. And the uproar around the lake was just incredible. Why would they log a mountain that's going to spoil my view? Well, <laughs> they own it. You know, let them log it. <laughs> you know, you know, trees do grow back. I, I've heard that. So, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah log- go by the mountain or shut up. You know, that was my response. Yeah. But, yeah. Well, that's, okay. yeah. That's, Thank you very much, guys. Thanks sure. for the call, Mark. We appreciate it. All right. Up next, I believe we have Al. Al's on the line. Al, good morning. You're on Talkback with Patrick Barkey. Go ahead, Al. Uh, yes, sir. I was just wondering if Dr. Barkey has uh, talked with your friends, uh, let me say, at the other university 200 miles east of here on I-90 about housing problems and costs. They surely must have a lot worse situation over there than uh, in Missoula. Thank you. All right. Thanks for the call. So I know that you, you, you meet with your fellow wizards, right? 
<laughs> or you call them. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we deal with our friends at MSU all the time. Uh, I will say on, on housing, not specific to MSU, uh, you know, we're a statewide organization uh, at BBR, so we cover the entire state. And, in fact, on March the 9th, we're coming out with our second uh, uh, Gallatin Valley housing report. Uh, and there are some incredible statistics that come out of that. Uh, for example, in Gallatin County, uh, 30% of the homes that were sold last year were sold for cash, uh, which was rather astounding. Wow. Uh, median price is north of $800,000. Uh, there is um, the average, um, the median earning uh, household in Gallatin County can pay no more than, I think it's 40% of the full payment on a medium priced home. So it's, uh, there's really, uh, some massive housing stress happening in Gallatin County. And there has also been a very strong, uh, construction response in, in Gallatin County as well. Gallatin County is also home to, uh, some things we don't have in Missoula. We don't have anything equivalent to big sky, uh, in, in Missoula. We don't have a, we don't have a mountain ski resort of that caliber, anywhere nearby and, and big sky is 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 just truly crazy i mean everything's over a million dollars there and the last thing i would say is that we don't have as much vacant housing as gallatin county now that sounds kind of odd vacant housing what are you talking about there's no houses available well these houses aren't available but they're vacant because they're owned by people who only use them seasonally right so uh and I think there's a lot of uh, finger pointing and name pointing, um, you know, on these kind of things. But this is what demand. This is what people want. I mean, man, I wanted to ask you about something because when when people ask me, uh, well, why is there such a housing crunch in Missoula? I said, well, first of all, let's look at the various valleys: Flathead Valley, the Gallatin Valley, and the Missoula Valley. All right, Gallatin Valley and and the uh, uh, and and the Flathead Valley are enormous. They're huge. They go for miles and miles and miles in almost all directions. Missoula has a very small, compact valley. There isn't a whole lot of room here to expand, except perhaps to the to the west and out by the airport and, and that direction. So uh, can you explain, it, it, does, does that make sense as far as prices go? It, it certainly does. Uh, it makes sense in terms of, uh, you know, it's particularly if you want to be uh, very close to the hospital, very close to downtown. You know, when you're going east, you're right, you're right into the mountain, right? right. I mean, so that's not feasible, although <laughs> we could knock down a few broadcast towers and build up there, but <laughs> I shouldn't, I shouldn't say that when I'm talking on one of the stations that has one, but, uh, right. No, that's certainly the, the geographic, uh, constraints, but you know, there are other constraints. I mean, people don't want to build in Gallatin Valley and, 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 and that flat land because that's some of the best ag land in the state and, and all this sort of thing. So there's there's uh, there's constraints wherever you go, but I think uh, one of the things I started to say about vacation homes, I just want to make this point uh, because I've heard this come up in a lot of areas, is there is a demand in Montana for residential space. Let's just put it that way. We call it housing, but it's a demand for residential space, and that consists of demand for people for full time residents. It's demand for uh, vacation rentals. It's a demand for uh, seasonal homes. Uh, by people who own multiple homes. Uh, it's demand of all kinds. And we can anoint some of these demands. So we can say, well, full-time residents are obviously the most important. Uh, this isn't going to make those other demands go away. And I think there's there's a lot of thought that we can somehow manipulate regulation to force housing into the kinds of niches. And obviously, full-time residents is a 
big niche, uh, we can do that. And in fact, you, you can't control demand through regulation, right? A demand is coming from outside. It's certainly going to be uh, part of the housing market, whether you like it or not, I guess, is is the sort of tough love, tough medicine, take your medicine kind of attitude. But it's certainly true in Montana that uh, there's, there's a lot of pushback against uh, this or that use of housing that people don't like. And it's not going to affect demand in the slightest. We're going to come right back. 721-1290 is our number. We have uh, Dave and Jeff who are going to come right back. Uh, we still have other phone lines open. Uh, by the way, Dave and Jeff have already been on. So if you call, we will always put our newer callers at the front of the line. So we'll be right back with more of Talk Back. The number is 721-1290. Talkback 721-1290 is our number. Let's get uh, right uh, to the phones, and I believe it is Dave is back. Dave, thanks for holding. Go ahead, sir. Yeah, first of all, I, I do want to make clear that does, government does have an influence. Uh, uh, Federal Reserve, in particular, is more important probably than a, a president in, in interest rates. But, but, you know, I would like everyone to own a house, but remember it's a business it's a business transaction, and, and be careful because you can get burnt. If you overborrow and get into big debt, you could be in, in danger of losing it all. And I, I'd classify buying a home as, as right up there with getting married or even, even more important. So be careful what you do. And, and where the market is high one place, it can be low another place. Uh, low market, I've heard that apartments in new york are, are cheap right now so um relatively <laughs> yeah look around there's, yeah, a, there's yeah. a high market somewhere and there's a low market somewhere else all right thank Dave. You. thank you thanks for the call okay comments uh mr well, I, I think government policy certainly uh bears that out there's there's probably at least 30 different federal government programs all aimed at helping people get into home ownership we have a much higher home ownership rate in the U.S. than they have in Europe. And so I, I would just say this. We pay for the privilege. Uh, there's a lot of expenses involved in that. Look at what happened to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and the housing bust where we had to bail them out to the tune of hundreds of billions of dollars. So uh, there's, there's a price to be paid for that. I, I don't think home ownership is for everyone. I sometimes question why government is involved in trying to get, you know, make that decision. Renting makes a lot of sense. I mean, it, it, it gives you mobility. You can change jobs. Uh, you can get locked into anything. Well, you, you've already articulated what some of the risks are for homeownership. So they do exist. Uh, renting is, is uh, there's nothing wrong with renting. It makes sense for a lot, a lot of people. All right, let's, uh, I believe Jeff is back. Jeff, thanks for holding, sir. You're on. Go ahead. Hey, good morning. I've had to move outside to remove some of this uh, uh, solid precipitation that I guess you haven't gotten down there in Missoula yet. Um, nope, not yet. But uh, uh, kind of a follow-up question on some of the stuff. It seems like a lot of the discussion has gone around um, uh, the trade-offs. And uh, it was Thomas, you know, Thomas Sowell uh, who said that uh, – uh, there are no solutions; there are only trade-offs. And I think you've talked a lot this morning about that approach. That when you look at things, you can't look at it. Well, this will solve it. You know, there are there's trade-offs, and you have to argue back and forth. And where you stand depends on where you sit. And uh, one of the things that came to my mind, though, is that uh, is the use of uh, trailer parks to uh, provide low-income housing. 
And I'm just wondering if, uh, I mean, I'm not really an advocate of anybody owning a trailer because you tend to go down in value rather than up. So you're actually buying a, a depreciating asset. But um, would that make sense in the Missoula or other markets for cities to incentivize uh, the building of trailer parks? Good luck finding a place to put one, Jeff. Well, you know, I, I'll because the land, the land itself, the land itself is so expensive. You know, the land itself is so expensive. Yeah, but it's expensive everywhere, and 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 you know, the cost of housing, I don't think, uh, bears out the uh, the size of the valley theory. But I don't, I don't want to get into that. I was just wondering about uh, whether that could be a a solution to the problem uh, of providing uh, low cost rentals or uh, even low cost homes for people who. Uh, who want to enter the market that way rather very, than looking for a stick-built home. Very good point, Jeff. Thank you. I grew up in mobile homes my whole life, so go ahead. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's there's many, many mobile homes in Missoula County. I mean, the question is uh, not so much building more of them, but the efforts to to uh, to get rid of them or to zone them out. Um, I, you know, I think I think it's all part of the mix. You know, it's just like the earlier questioner uh, I'm saying, why are we building places next to the freeway or this god awful structure or that kind of thing? Uh, you know, look, people sort themselves out, and uh, I, I, you know, mobile homes make perfect sense as as part of the solution. And I think, uh, I think the, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure what to say other than the um, there's there's kind of a mixture. I mean, one of the problems with uh, a lot of the trailer uh, communities, uh, mobile home communities has to do with the common ownership of the property and there's there's not the same security in having a mobile home because you're subject to your lot right i mean if you're you're so you're both a homeowner and a renter and so you're exposed not only to increases in the cost of maintaining your lot but also uh periodic threats from from closure and you know the fact that some folks have to move which is it's uh, it's sort of a gray area in between but sure i mean you know it's 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 kind of a cliche, but all of the above uh, certainly would apply to housing. We need more of it. We're going to come right back. Uh, we have a one-minute timeout, and then we'll wrap up. We have Denise and Chris both waiting to visit with Dr. Patrick Barkey. We'll be right back. On Talk Back and the last eight minutes or so, let's get as many calls in as we can with Dr. Patrick Barkey. I believe Denise has been waiting the longest. Hi, Denise. Good morning. Hello. Thanks for taking my call. Very quickly. Uh, have two questions. Have you heard the new push by the administration to uh, implement a equity balance into the HUD housing? And what do you think that's going to do to places in Montana? And the second one, I'm going to call it the Yellowstone tax, where in the show Yellowstone, the new governor wanted to implement a non-resident extra tax on non-residents and i'm just curious what your thought is on both of those and i'll listen offline that's really interesting thanks for the call oh very quickly i mean there's there's a lot of federal oversight of lending practices with respect to housing so um there's there may be additional uh that's happening but hud is a humongous player in housing finance so uh I don't know what that'll mean for Montana. It all depends on how all these things are defined. Uh, with respect to the Yellowstone tax, it's interesting. Non-residents are taxed. Uh, we did a study of, of Yellowstone recently, and 
uh, you know, if some actor in Yellowstone is paid X millions of dollars for for their role in the film, uh, that's money that is earned in Montana, and it's taxed to my to they they pay income tax because it's in Montana. So, all there's no I, I would say there's no need for a a non-resident tax uh, because re- anyone who makes money a non-resident in the state of Montana, if a sports team comes in place here, if a rocks band gives a concert here and they get paid, uh, there's Montana income tax levied on the earnings in Montana. So I think, I don't know what that proposal exactly is all about. Rock on, dude. Okay, let's, <laughs> I think, uh, is it Chris next? Chris, good morning. You're on with Dr. Patrick Barkey. Go ahead. Hi, thank you very much. Um, I was wondering if you could speak to two issues that may or may not be impacting the housing um, prices. And the first issue is the um, border situation where, you know, millions of people are coming in competing for places to live, uh, maybe even in other states, and then those people move. So there's that um possibility i was wondering if if you there was any correlation and then b um limited uh or types of industry that are here in missoula um you know people um maybe getting lower paid paying jobs uh making housing uh more unaffordable thank you okay a couple of things there patrick uh, first thing, if I if I were to candidly assess what the impact is of uh, migrants coming, especially from 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 the south, it would have more of an impact on the labor market than it would on housing per se. Uh, in in the sense that and it actually might be a beneficial one. I I, I realize I might get some people upset saying that, but uh, construction is labor intensive, and to the extent uh, that. Uh, immigration can help, uh, you know, fuel labor supply. That that that's the bigger impact. I don't see one for housing uh, necessarily. It's it, of course it's harder to see here in Montana because we're typically not a destination for that. But I understand what you're talking about in terms of the second round people moving away, coming up here. Uh, it, it could have some impact, but it's the labor market one that really strikes me. And the second question was about uh, Peter and I looking. At I should have written it down. My humble apologies. All right, let's let let's move on. We've got uh, Alexandria, who has been waiting the longest. Alexandria, good morning. We have about five or three minutes left in the show. Go ahead. Yeah, someone broached on this already, but I wonder, um, is it so unreasonable for those who are living here for just six months or less a year to have to pay a flat tax of 20000 25000 per year for the privilege of living here in which you know, we're paying for roads, parks, everything else. And, well, they're only here half the time. And so there's that. And the other thing is um, the housing market is set to be staking out lower throughout the U.S. So I feel that a fair bit of this is going to even out anyway. Yeah, with respect to the flat tax, I assume you're talking about property tax, uh, which is... Or, or, or not, just a flat tax for the privilege of of having a home here temporarily because they can certainly afford it. So you're, you're talking about people renting or perhaps uh, airbnb or no, what? People, no, people buying. Oh, people buying. Okay. All right. But but then uh, when they buy here, then they're a resident. <laughs> so, no, not necessarily. Okay. But, uh, are they a resident if they just live here three months a year, four months a year? Okay. Good point. 
know? Well, the the I mean the property tax. If you own property, then then you're exposed to property tax. So that's that's it depends on where it is, what jurisdiction you pay, and so forth. Whether that's fair or not, you know, do you get into how much you use infrastructure? Do you have kids in school? All those kind of things that make the amount of services you demand different. But the property tax well, system. That's, that's like, so basically, you're punishing people for living here part time. Is that it? Yeah, they're paying a price for the privilege of living here, and it's because it's changing the lives of everybody else and okay. making the housing market go up for everybody else. Shouldn't they then contribute to that for the, the, the cost that they're creating okay. for those then now who cannot afford a home? Yeah, we, we have exactly two minutes, Patrick. Thank yeah, you. Thank so you, in, in addition to the property tax, there has been an effort by the city of Vancouver and BC to levy an additional tax. So over and above the property tax, which you're already subject to, for foreign buyers of property that don't live in it. Okay? And so the idea was exactly that. We want to dissuade these people from buying property. And there's a lot of equity reasons. But, uh, I mean, you can do that. I, 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 if if uh, whether that uh, is is constitutional, fair, et cetera, there's... there's there's political processes to do that. I, I'm not sure that is the, uh, you know, I question how uh, when housing supply is the issue, how additional regulations will solve it. Um, we have we have about a minute and a half left, so I, I'm going to leave the rest to you. Are there things that you haven't had a chance to talk about that you'd like to mention about what the VBER is working on? What What's coming up next with your organization? Yeah, well, we're heavily involved in housing. We've talked about that a lot. I think one thing that I would like to, a point I'd like to make that people aren't aware of is I think the number one issue right now in the economy is actually inflation. And I think there is something that you may or may not know. You do know every time you buy something, and that is it is taxing your income. Uh, it, is, it, is, it is taking some of your purchasing power every year. And I think there's an enormous amount of complacency and wishful thinking on inflation, if you if you listen to financial news, they all are just dying for the Federal Reserve to back off and, and start lowering rates. I would just t- say two things. Uh, the first is that if the Federal Reserve is really going to solve it, they're going to have to keep putting the brakes on the economy, and you're going to feel that. And uh, the second thing I would say is that interest rates are closer to normal than you think. Patrick, thank you for being with us. Appreciate it. It's always a pleasure. Uh, tomorrow, Nick will be back. We'll be having the Montana World Affairs Council on the radio. Christian, thank you for a stellar job. Have a great day, everybody.